on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Welcome to another edition of the Orient Hour here on Phoenix FM with myself, Chris Hood. We're back after our Christmas break to bring you the run into May and what an interesting few months it looks like we have in store. Joining me to digest an interesting last couple of weeks are O's fans Lee Boyce, Howard Miller and Kevin Frake, all from the OTF. If you've got a question for the panel or a question about the last fortnight in E10, loads of ways to get involved. It's the Orient Hour on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a follow and a like while you're over there. And you can also email the studio direct, radio at phoenixfm.com not forgetting that if you miss the live show every week you can catch a rerun on the phoenix fm website www.phoenixfm.com and we're also on itunes and android podcasting apps And I'm hoping that my typo that I've written at the bo- uh, top of my script isn't uh, going to come true, where I've written uh, Borean Hour uh, 123. I'm, uh, 103. I'm hoping that that's uh, not going to become true today. Uh, before we speak with our panel, let's look on back on yesterday's action as Orient travelled to Crabble to take on Dover. And the O's started the day top of the table, but now only three points clear of Wrexham in second, with the Red Dragons having a game in hand. That, of course, came after Orient lost 2-1 at Dagnum on Boxing Day. The Deggers coming from behind to score an 87 minute winner. The O's had slipped a little bit of late with two defeats in their last three league games, both of those coming on consecutive road losses, as Orient's away league record fell to seven wins, four draws and now two defeats. Despite this, Orient had taken 53 points from 26 games this season, better than the two a game, and had the National League's joint top scorer Macaulay Bond with 17 goals. Opponents Dover were 20th, only out of the relegation zone on goal difference, but were on a great run themselves with four league wins in the last six matches, including a 3-1 come-from-behind win at home to Maidstone on Boxing Day. The Whites had a home league record of five wins, one draw and seven losses, including four consecutive league wins at Crabble, so it was due to be a challenge for the O's. And in terms of head-to-head record, the O's had won the reverse 3-0 back in August, as goals from Joby McEnough, Josh Caroma and Matt Harold gave the O's the win. The two teams playing three times last season, Mitch Pinnock giving uh, Dover a 1-0 win at Crabble in the league, a 1-0 draw in the reverse and a memorable FA Trophy game, as the O's went 3-0 up away from home, shipped another three goals for Dover. Dave Mooney scored an injury time winner. Of course, familiar faces on either side as former O's boss Andy Hessenthaler led the Whites and James Larby returned to the club where he played 11 times and scored a single goal during a loan spell last season. 
On to the match itself, and Orient remained top of the National League after a goalless draw at Crabble. The hosts were awarded a penalty after just seven minutes when Iniefiong went down under the challenge of Dean Brill. However, the O's, uh, the O's goalkeeper excellently dived the right way and palmed the ball away to safety. That penalty, though, was the closest uh, Dover Athletic came to breaking the deadlock before Orient came closest through Dale Gorman, who struck the post in the dying moments of the game. So, another difficult result for the O's over this Christmas period. However, there was another loss for Salford yesterday as they fell to a 3-2 defeat at Barrow thanks to a 94th minute winner. It was the Amis' fourth league loss in a row. Wrexham, though, were able to beat Solihull Moors 1-0 to keep up the pressure on Orient. In yesterday's uh, other results, uh, well, there was a win for Maidstone, 1-0 away against Boreham Wood. Chesterfield uh, drew one all with Hartlepool United. Uh, Barnet ended Dagnam's recent unbeaten record with a 1-0 win. Win. It ended Epsilute United 3, Eastley 0, Gateshead 1, FC Halifax Town 1, AFC Fylde were 2 1 winners away against Harrogate Town, Bromley 1 3 0 at Haven and Waterlooville, as Braintree 1 1 0 at Maidenhead United, and Sutton United pulled out a 2 1 victory against Aldershot Town. So, Orient remained top of the table going into 2019, a point clear of Wrexham in second, with the Red Dragons having a game in hand. Salford, though, previously the O's nearest rivals, have now dropped to fourth behind AFC Fylde. Next up for Orient is the visit of Dagnam on New Year's Day as the O's look to avenge their Boxing Day defeat. Uh, the Daggers are 14th, as I said, their unbeaten league run ended by Barnet yesterday. Uh, before Salford visit on Saturday, they now sit five points behind Orient as it stands. After the match, uh, Dave Victor spoke with the boss, Justin Edinburgh. Well, Justin, thanks for joining us. You had to work hard for that point. Well, I think I said before, you know, uh, today's game after uh, Boxing Day's game, every game's going to be tough. Um, the margins um, are getting tighter. Everyone's fighting harder. And uh, it's no different today. I think um, it was a well-earned point for... <clears throat> now, apart from the... The penalty, um, I think we had enough chances again to win the game. Um, but, you know, we've got to remain calm, we've got to remain composed. And, and when the games become tight, the quality has to be even greater than it has been over the duration of the season. Throughout 2018, Dingville's been outstanding. It was a very important save you made. Yeah, I mean, it'd be the first to know that he, he had no reason to come out to, to get caught up in the, the action. Um, but when he did... You know, he's made a great save uh, to keep out the penalty. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think he's made up for, for a slight error, really. It was a difficult game, wasn't it? In many ways, quite a, a, a sort of untidy match, but chances at a premium, especially for the O's. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, you look at the two, uh, Josh Caroma got through. I mean, we've hit the post at the end with Dale Gorman. I say, uh, you know, without repeating myself, it's it's where the quality has to come to to the fore in these second half of the season. These are these are tough games now. The games are going to be more they're going to be more difficult. Teams are, are going to fight harder uh, without keep repeating myself. So yeah, they're, they're not going to be there's not going to be people beating each other three and four nil. The top three aren't going to keep winning like they were at the early part of the season. Um, so we just got to remain composed. I think it's a very valuable point away from home today. And at this time of the season, you would expect injuries, but uh, Craig Clay is the latest absentee. Yeah, no, he took a took a whack in uh, the Dagnam game, uh, dead leg, um, so it's caused a, um, a hematoma there, a bit of bleeding. Um, so, yeah, today's game come too soon, and we'll assess that over the next couple of days, really. A possibility for Dagnam, New Year's Day? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, same with Joby, that's improving all the time, so... 
you'll have to take a deep breath. Um, one or two knocks in a, in a real tough encounter today, but you know, other than those two, then we, we look all right. And Miles Judd? Yeah, Miles is here now. He's fit, so him and George uh, missed out today. But uh, yeah, they're all, all, everyone available. What about news on potential arrivals into the camp? We're trying hard, Dave. You know, we, you know, I've made it quite clear. I want, I want people in. Um, so we're hoping that that'll happen. Um, you know, possibly maybe for for New Year's Day. Wrexham have hit form recently, haven't they? Yeah, they have. But there's still points behind us. I think everyone's getting a little bit uptight. We're still top of the league. I don't. I can't remember the last time we weren't top, Dave, and it's like it's starting to bug me a bit that people keep saying, oh, they're in form, they're in form. What, we had three three losses in 27 games, is it? Is that not good form? I don't know. I, I, I'm, it's a I'm, lovely I'm, way to finish I'm, the year, isn't I'm it? I'm amused that, that we're, we're not in good form. I, I can't get it. I, I'm totally, absolutely, I have to be a positive person. You know, we've, we've lost two away games, back-to-back. We've got a really good draw here today, clean sheet, and we go home on New Year's Day and we look to win the game. Because they were a form team, weren't they, Dover? Well, we are playing all the form teams, didn't we? We played Dagnum, I think. They were top of the form. Dover have been a form team. They beat Fold here. They beat Maystone here. Then no one's rolling over and having their bellies tickled. I'm just I'm a bit, bit disappointed with, with, again, with some of the crowd today. You know, some of the crowd reaction. That was only a one or two. I'm not talking about they've travelled in incredible numbers. They've been brilliant, but it was one or two individuals today that said a couple of things that I think they'll be disappointed with tonight. So let's finish the year on a high, and it's been an excellent year, both on and off the pitch, hasn't it, for Lake Nguyen? Absolutely. This, this, these people nearly without a club a year and a half ago. When I come in, this was free fall. 16 games without a win. I think in my time, I've lost nine in over a year. I just, come on, we need to be positive. It's, it's, we're, we're the team at the top of the league. We're in an excellent position, on and off the pitch. Fantastic. We've been backed by numbers again today. We'll be backed by numbers at home on New Year's Day. What a way to celebrate going into the new year, top of the league. Can't say no more than that, can I? Well, that was Justin Edinburgh speaking after the game uh, with Dave Victor. I'm joined in the studio tonight by uh, O's fans from the OTF, Lee Boyce, Howard Miller and Kevin Frake. I'm sure they're not um, a couple of the O's fans that uh, Justin Edinburgh's uh, mentioning uh, there. Um, Boys, ultimately, and we start with you, Lee, it does go down still as a disappointing day yesterday for the Orient. It's, it's disappointing, obviously. You want to win every game, but you've got to take the... Like what he says, you've got to take the positives. There's, there's positives in, in every single game we play. Uh, we ended up it ended up not being three, defeats, three away defeats on the spin. That's a positive. Clean sheet, that's a positive. We're going through a, a little hard time. We've got injuries, I think it's... McEnough going out shows how much how important he's been and how much he's missed. Uh, but we've got to keep going. And, and we've, the fans have stayed behind the club but for the last few years. Everything's gone really well. I can't understand why people have, all of a sudden, a few people are starting, starting to panic. No, no, we get players in, we'll get back on form. Two of the top seven lost uh, one yesterday. So I don't, I don't see why people think we've got the divine right to win every game. I mean, Kev, looking at the game in isolation, it's getting the nil-nil draw against the team who, as I went through the stats at the start of the game, team who won four of their last six league games, four home league wins on the bounce. So ultimately, looking at it in isolation, a nil-nil draw is a pretty good result, you'd have to say. I totally agree, yeah. I mean, we had a bad result against Dagenham. We should have seen that game through. Wood, OK, we had a few chances. We could have got a point there. But yesterday... As Lee said, clean sheet. We've stopped that round of defeats away from home and now we go forward. 
just be positive, as Justin said. And, uh, well, Howard, uh, how did Orient play? I mean, we look at the result just, just on its own, and, and I, I suppose most people are looking at the result and seeing you're playing a team in Dover who were just above the relegation zone, ignoring the form for a moment. It's a bit like when we played Chesterfield a couple of weeks ago. Chesterfield ultimately won 3-1. You, you look at it on the face of it, and nil-nil against a team that are struggling at the time against relegation doesn't look great. Looking at the game itself and being there, how did Orient play? Are we talking worthy of a draw, lucky to get one, or should they, in fact, have probably picked up a win? I thought it was limited chances that we had. I think Karoma had one and obviously we hit the post second half. But uh, if you look at it, you know, the penalty saved straight away. There could have been one nil down, so that could have really been game over. Because um, I think it'd been hard to come back from one nil, uh, the way we've been playing. and. There's a lack of creativity at the moment. You've lost part of the spine of the team with Joby and uh, Clay, which uh, was the last sort of minute thing that we found out. So, you know, you're losing your creativity straight away. So I thought personally, I thought it was quite a hard-earned point, a uh, good point to, to take and, uh, you know, just move on to Dagenham on New Year's Day now. Well, I mean, Justin spoke about... Uh, I mean, it's a draw. I mean, we, we talk about it's a draw. Disappointing, certainly, from given where the O's are this season and then right at the top of the table. But Justin spoke about, he called it a valuable point away from home. And do you think down the line we're going to see this as, as possibly better than it feels now? No, absolutely. I mean, I'd say I felt yesterday that it was a hard-earned point and it's, you know, it's a good point to take um, after losing to, um, to Dagenham in those circumstances right at the end of the game. So, um, you know, I agree with Justin there and through the season... Some of these points you pick up on the way travels. Yeah, we'd like to win them all away, but you're not going to. Everyone's fighting now. We're into the second half of the season, even though we haven't got to the new year already. We've had 27 games. So, you know, they are hard, hard-earned points. So if you can pick up a few of those on the way, they are, at the end of the day, if we if we can win the league by one point, then, you know, we'll all be jumping up and down and going back to yesterday's game. The truth is, though, Lee, it was a game yesterday that was low on quality, wasn't it? And low on real clear-cut chances out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't think I can't really remember any clear-cut chances apart from, like, say, Chroma and, and hitting the post, which, I don't know, looked easy, from where we all stand, looked easy to score anyway. But, it, yeah, it is what it is. Like, you know I mean, like I said, we low on confidence, low on, low on players being fit, three games, like, say, two defeats on the road, and... and yeah, they're down the bottom. But like we said, they are one of the form teams, especially at home. So it was never going to be easy. I don't think... I'm sure like the players have got together today or whenever they're back in and they've gone through it and they know they're going to be highlighting the fact and they're not going to be under no illusion that that was a great performance. So they're going to sit down and they're going to work on it and hopefully the response will be against Dagenham. So sometimes you have to grind out a result here and there, do. don't you? Of course you do. It's like... So like I said, I mean, they're not going to come out of that, off that pitch yesterday's game and turn around and think, well, that was a great point. Like, we deserved that. We played well. They're going to, they're going to know what the faults were. They're going to know what, what they could have done or should have done better. But it's all, you know, you're not going to, like the National League, you're not going to turn in great performances week in, week out. And when you're not turning a great performance, it's important to grind out a result. And that's what we've done. Um, we're getting plenty of uh, well, we've had plenty of opinions uh, over social media during the uh, during the last uh, twenty four hours 
since the uh, since the result. Um, some stronger than others. Uh, we've got uh, Graham David G um, on Twitter. Uh, we went uh, to unbeaten inform league leaders Harrogate. We won three 0 We went to inform and best defence in the league AFC Fylde. We won three one. We went to top of the league and inform Wrexham and won two 0 Trouble is some of our numpties can't accept where we are. We've shots five. We've gone with our first numpties of the uh, evening. Uh, if you want to uh, respond to that or uh, to anything else we're saying, it's the Orient Hour on Facebook and Twitter, and you can also uh, email the studio direct at radio at phoenixfm.com. And there was uh, quite a few uh, strong opinions uh, coming out after the game yesterday, and we will deal with um, well the negativity possibly around the club at the moment and, and the way that Justin uh, responded uh, to that. Um, the real flashpoint, though, of the game yesterday... Um, was the penalty and uh, boys it was an instant that Justin spoke about being an, an error from, from Dean Brill From uh, I know some of you were still trying to get in the ground at the time but from those who saw it um, what did you make of the um, make of the penalty? Well it was a penalty there's no arguing about it from my point of view uh, Dean had a little bit of rush of blood I think he, he's caught the player so penalties in the box no arguments but in terms of, um, I mean, we talk about 2018, Dean Brill's played in, I think it's every minute of every um, league game in 2018. And those mistakes have been very, very few and far between. We did see them perhaps a couple early on in his spell as he was bedding back into playing regular football. But actually, in terms of Dean Brill since then, he's been one of the shining stars of the Orient team in 2018. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he marshals that defence so well. His, his experience shows. Um, oh, I go to penalty away yesterday. It happens. You saved the penalty, so redeemed himself. There we go. Redeemed yeah, himself. Exactly, mm-hmm. mate. You make, if you make mistakes and you're not punished for it, it's not not really worth even thinking about. Well, is it? No. Like I said he knows. It, again, he'll know what he done wrong. Uh, like I say he hasn't made many mistakes. Like for a lot, well, this season especially, he's been like one of like big part of the backbone. So you, you can't. Really old people accountable for one mistake, like so, especially as he redeemed himself, like you know what I mean? You can't, exactly, can't criticise him. No. no. Um, I mean, apart from that, Dover did hit the, the hit the bar at one point, but in in terms of actual chances, it was it was it was low on chances, wasn't it? Howard, really for them. I mean, Orient kept them. Gen- I mean, they did threaten, but Orient genuinely kept them in terms of clear chances down to a minimum. Yeah, I thought we we kept the shape well at the back, um, as I say, Dean Marshall's and well. And you know he must have such a sore throat every every Sunday morning because you you just hear him all the time. So that push always pushes them up another ten yards for his confidence to you know control that that area. Um, but no, they, it it was few and far between. But they like the, the shape was pretty good. There were a couple of times we were a little bit uh, on Lingy's side, a little bit sort of getting overlapped or a bit bit of space um, in in between. Um, but. I thought, I thought as, a, as a unit, they were, they were quite solid. I mean, what about, what about Lingy? Because Lingy, um, he took a little bit of stick when he came back into the team and he was, he was certainly injured when he came back into the team or certainly not a full match fitness. Um, as we heard from Justin there, Miles um, Judd is, is back and back fit and back in contention for New Year's Day. D- has Ling done enough since he's come back in to, to retain his place or does, 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 does Judd go right back into the, the team? Um, personally, I'd have Judd back in there, but it could be, you know, because obviously the character that Justin is as a manager, he, he'll want that player to, you know, recognise that he's got a fight to get back in there and not just slot back in as if it's like, oh, you're fit now, there you go, that's your position. So it makes him a bit more hungrier. 
And obviously, Ling, the same time, will make him aware that he's got to play to the best of his ability to keep his position. But um, he does get caught out a bit at times. I think he's he's always, he's still learning from game to game. Um, but he needs that cover um, alongside him at times. Uh, otherwise, he's a bit vulnerable. I think, I think with Ling as well, though, he's, he looks like he lacks confidence at the moment. I mm. mean, he gets a lot of criticism yeah. because of his dad and... He's only in the team. I mean, Moles judges. He started. To, Ling started the season as the right back. Moles judges come in, and we all know what quality player Moles judges. But when Ling's come back in, he looks he looks more nervous than than mm. poor. I mean, last season when we signed him, in, was it January? He was one of our best players for the rest of the season. So he can't be a, a poor player. He was one of our best players in in a run that like, like when Justin took over. That I think would he say six games, seven games we lost for the rest of the season. So he's not a bad player. He's he's lacking in form. He's lacking in confidence. And I said, I think everyone just jumping on his back all the time. Don't, especially with the he's only here because of his dad nonsense. Like you know what I mean? It's like that story's been told a hundred times, isn't it? That he's nothing to do with that. Uh, but yeah, personally, I think Judd Judd goes back in the side. But I think people have got to be a bit more uh, a bit more lenient with uh, with Ling and, uh, and give, let him get his confidence back. I mean, Kev, you guys watched the, the O's home and away, and the feature of this season has been how great Orient have been on the road. And they've, they've taken a little bit of a back step recently. I mean, it's, it's now three games without a win on the road, and they stopped that rot yesterday. Has it been a bit surprising to you in terms of how things have gone on the road? Have, have Orient changed the way they're playing, do you think? Or, or is it just a, a blip? I think it's just a blip. I think we'll get back to, to winning away games. Say so you're not going to win every single game. People have just got to calm down a bit. We take the points as we get them. Don't get excited. Don't get depressed. Um, away games anyway for us are long trips anyway, not yeah. local ones. And we're better when we do long trips. The team seem to be better as well. But they do, an over, do they do overnight stays? A lot. I think so, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they seem do. they seem better prepared. Yeah, well, I think when we've got Northern games and that sort of thing. Yeah, if you dissect the last three games, though, I mean, Ball and Wood, their keeper was man of the match. Like, I mean, we had chance. The ball just was never going to go in. No, That's true. Cleared off the line, hit the post. Yeah. The keepers like pulled off a couple of worldy yeah. saves, as they were described. Uh, you go to the Dagenham game. We were the better team for for most of that game. Like you said, we never see the game out. That was mistakes that we made in the last fifteen minutes, 10, 15 minutes that cost us the game. So probably the worst game, our worst performance out of them three games was yesterday. And we've got a point in that one. Right. So, okay, That's football, eh? Yeah. I mean, Justin spoke about every game being tougher, the margins getting tighter, everyone fighting harder as kind of they're looking towards the end of the season now and you know what you're, you're fighting for and the time's getting shorter and shorter. So people are going to make it more and more difficult um, for you. Do you think the, the opposition actually, in... It's not so much Orient standards slipping that much. It's more the other, everyone else seems to have caught up with the O's in, in terms of what's happening at the moment. Yeah, possibly. I mean, there are teams that are raising their game against us and they're going to because when you're, when you're top of the league, there's always a 10% uh, rise or, you know, in, in a, a team playing you. It's just, it's just a, a fact. Um, so you've got to deal with that as a team uh, that's top of the league, whether it's ten points, four points, or one point. Um, and at the moment, they um, there's certain moments in games that you know you're not get, we don't seem to get in the rubber of the green. That sort of you know, ricochets, bouncing to us, getting the second possession, last two or three games. 
So I've noticed that. But that, but that sort of, you know, through a season, that just evens itself out. And you've just got to get through that. As I said, the creativity is not there at the moment. So if you're not hanging on to that ball, you're, like last season when we played away at home, that's what it looks like, especially at Dover, that you're, you're being pushed back because you're not hanging on to the ball, you're not creating. And, and so you're in defensive a lot of the time. So once we get those two back in, hopefully maybe for New Year's Day, I think you'll see a slight difference again where we're penetrating them more. You know, Joby sits, Clay goes, they're all the other way around. And so they're on the back foot and so they've got to worry about us. So, you know, so, but you'll have that for a season. All teams have injuries, all teams have peaks, you know, and they have downsides to their game. And you, you, you just got to get through it. And if you can get, pick up a few points on the way, through that period, then even better. So I'm not, you know, I'm not too worried about the way we're playing at the moment. Just I mean, the, the, the team, no doubt, has gone on, on this little bit of blip over the last few weeks. But in reality, it's, it's not surprising. I mean, you've, you've lost James Dayton, who um, was a big part of the team. I mean, he's, he's not universally rated by the fan base, but um, he was a big part of the team. You've lost Joby as well, out with a fractured toe and just in hopes he's actually going to be available for New Year's Day. And he's a double whammy with losing your captain and one of your standout players and a big man on, on set plays as well. You lose Craig Clay yesterday as well, who's been imperious. And it it's really is no surprise that you take three of your best players out of the team, Lee, that you're not going to play very well particularly. No, I mean, as well, Charlie Lee's just come back from injury, so he's probably trying to catch up with match fitness. Dale Gorman, who's rated highly, had no pre-season. He started, couldn't get in the side. I don't think he got in the side till probably early December, like when Lee got injured. So he's still trying to play catch-up. So, yeah, when you're losing your, your, your big players, I mean, like I said, Dayton ain't rated by... Uh, over Overrated by people. But when you look at what's happened since he's not been there, it's like, how underrated is he? Like, how much did he help out the right-backs at times? Like, I mean, like you said, like H said a little while ago, uh, Ling looks exposed yesterday at times and he, he has done a few uh, I think he did at Dagnum as well so how much did Dayton actually help him and all that's gone under the radar so you've lost him you, like you say McEnough he's the, one of the uns- him and Widowson are the unsung heroes I can't believe they, neither of them get the praise they deserve like uh, you've lost him he's our captain he's unbelievable like you say Craig Clay another one last season everyone was moaning about Craig Clay shouldn't even be nowhere near the club this year he's been one of the best players like, yeah, so you can't afford at our level to lose quality form players like that and expect the, the performances not to drop. But like, like we said, it's, it's how you how you sort of carry on from it. Like you know, I mean, that's, that's confidence. That's confidence. I mean, is is there a concern? Do you think, Kev, about relying on um, Joby? You're a 37 year old as a cornerstone of your team. Is it fact that maybe at the moment this season the O's have been too reliant on him and? Uh, is a 37-year-old going to get through the whole of the season with, without picking up injuries? Well, I'm sure he's going to pick up a few injuries. He's got one now, but his influence on the pitch is unbelievable. You see him talking to some of the younger players, even when they're running back with the goal kick or something, that he's running back and he's talking to them. I mean, he's creative as well. He makes things happen. But it's 37 years old. He's playing better than any other player on the pitch. And well, at the moment, we're really... 
te- the, t- the depth of the squad has been tested and for now it's starting to look like the cupboard is possibly bare than it looked earlier on in the season when Justin looked like really a kid in the candy store um, in terms of options it is looking that I think someone did point someone pointed out online there's a reason why some of these guys are, are second string and aren't playing in the side every week because they're not as good as your replacements aren't quite as good as what you had in the first place. You're going to be lucky to have that, you know, unless you're a Man City or a club like that, that you're, all, all, you know, all your replacements are just going to fit in and are going to be as good as the ones because they would be in the first 11 otherwise, wouldn't they? Um, and, you know, obviously Justin, I think he's desperate to get a couple of players in. I know there's been lots of talk about um, a f- few different players, but, uh, you know, you, he'll only want the players in that are going to be as good or give something else to the team or will fit in with the group he's got because that's a massive thing. The, exactly, camera, yeah. the camaraderie between a team is very similar, I think, to when Slade had the year with Slade or the two years with Slade. So that's very important. And he doesn't, you know, he, and any circumstance, he doesn't want to shake that, whether they're going to come in and be on more money than certain people might put someone's you know, face out or, or they're, just, you know, they're just going to not fit in at all. And Justin's very, very, you know, through his management career, I think he's always been very, you know, to make sure that he gets the right fit for well, the club. I think that point's proven though, H, with uh, the, the, the lad from Palace, when he come in. I mean, yeah. he's, he's not, everyone's saying, why is he not played and all that. Justin's come out and said he hasn't fitted in. No. He, hasn't, he hasn't come in and done enough to play. No. So... We're going to get a couple of players in in January. And like you said, they've got to be the right players. They've got to be the right... He can't afford to have a player come in like, no. like that lad and come in who obviously thought he was better than he was and didn't want to work hard and from what I heard, didn't turn up very regular as well for training. I don't know if okay. that part's true, but like I said, he, he can't make that mistake. So the person he's got to get in there has got to be 100% right. Now, I'm sure we'd all rather he took his time and got the right person in the door than just get someone in to make the numbers up that ends up not fitting in. Yeah, totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Totally and, ups, agree. and upsetting the army that the yeah, squad have got. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's anyone here in the studio or anyone in the club who actually doubts, though, that Orin do need to dip into the transfer market. We do, and we? do oh, need yeah. to yeah. Dip, dip, dip into the loan market. Um, so you've got all those arguments about getting the right person in, and, and the club have been going on for a while now about getting in a striker. Uh, getting in a winger and uh, I think Justin said they're hoping to get in the body before in before Boxing Day you saw a lot of talk um, before that um, I mean the longer this goes on though is possibly the, the worst it's going to get is it some people are saying it, that maybe they're being too harsh on finding the right person the right character when they just need a body in at the moment but you can't look at what we just said a body in, unless it's going to be the right person, unless it's going to be the right fit, it's going to be a body that ain't going to be used. So people might want just get a body in, get someone in, get this player in, get that player in. But it's, it's, it's got to benefit the squad. It's got to benefit. It's got to bring something. If, if we're bringing in a forward, it's got to be someone who's better than what we've already got. Now, all right, people can turn around and say, oh, Alarby ain't good enough. Alarby, in my point of view, and I know a few people agree with me, when he comes off the bench, he's a very important player coming off the last 20 minutes. So he's got his little part. He's not he's not, not ready at the start or he's not got the confidence, whatever, at the start. He's an impact player. He's an impact player. Mm. But, so he fits in. So we need someone who's going to come in to work with Bon, Cromer, 
and a larby as a fourth striker. Now, if you're just going to get someone in and just say, right, OK, well, you be the fourth striker and he can't mix with him three and, and, and bring something into that, that, that set-up, what's the point of him being there? What about Matt Harold then, Lee? Who? Matt Harold. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's sort of because Les Kay's got in touch on Twitter. Um, one man who generates a lot of discussion on social media is Alarby. Uh, what do the panel make of him? Um, Lee's had his say. Um, Kev, what do you make of um, Alarby? He, the man is dreadfully out of form at the moment. I think we can say that. He is out of form. And as, as Lee and, and H. both said, he's an impact player. You've been on the last 25, 20 minutes in a game. He frightens defenders. But if you give, you know, give the ball at his feet, he'll run at people. And he's a, he's a big lump. Um, he wasn't using his weight and his build early part of the season, mm, was he? But he yeah. seems to have started to do that now, which is one of his assets. So, yeah, he's, he's a squad player. Do you think anything in terms of his, his confidence, do you think all this... I mean, there's all this buzz we see online. You see, see Alibi come on, and, you know, the, the word donkey isn't too far away from him when you see it online. Do you think his confidence getting affected maybe as well from the crowd as well when, when he comes on? What I mean, what's the type of times of reaction when James Larby plays? Is I mean, is the crowds... We all sing his name, to be honest. Yeah. He's got his own song his name yesterday. He's yeah. got his own song already, so, you know, he, he, yeah. he can't be that bad. Whether it's tongue-in-cheek, it may be, but as I agree with the other, I think he's, you know, he's a, he's a big presence when he does come on. And, and that defence thing, oh, I've had 70, 75 minutes and now I've got to deal with this as well. You, you, don't, know, get, you don't get people in. moaning at him on, in the ground. No. It's online, they're yeah. moaning at him. And they're the same people that are sitting here reading, reading like, uh, or listening to the commentary or reading uh, like the match reports, not actually seeing what he does in him 20 minutes that he comes on. He's like, like, like what he just said. Coming off the bench is important. He's a, he's, he's a valid player. Yeah, his confidence is low. Like, but yeah. I don't know what, what can you say people, if people, people are going to sit online if the players are going to read what's written online by the same moaners we ain't got a massive fan base you can see online who the, who the same moaners are going over the same old rubbish every single week if you're going to sit and listen to them then really you ought to ask yourself your questions why is your confidence low don't listen to the idiots I mean in, James Alarby um didn't start yesterday and Matt Harold started in his place. You've mentioned him already there, the Kev. Um, I mean, what what do you think in terms of the, the impact that he, that he made? He, he was winning a lot of flick-ons. He's good in the air. But <laughs> I'm not sure at the moment he's bringing anything to, to the team up front as a striker. Early on in the season, he used to come on the sub. He, used to, he, scored, a, he scored a goal, didn't he? Yeah, good, yeah, that's a good goal per minute ratio, didn't he? At one stage. Absolutely. Well, he sort of turned him up at the time, so it's the best time, well, to, come time to come on. And, and have a got run, lo- lots of space against a team at home that are you know, struggling. The away team are struggling. If Chroma or Bond get injured, no, they don't. We've got a problem. I mean, what do you think the impact has been? Because... Because of this problem with the, with missing Dayton and missing um, Joby at the moment, Josh has had to um, to come back and, and fill that thing. How how do you think that's actually affected the, the creativity of the team and and particularly Macaulay Bond? Massively, I think. Hmm. I mean, Josh should be up front with Macaulay, but because we have the injuries, we haven't got the uh, the depth in the squad to to fill it out. Um, well, there's two things that happen. It's one, if if Harold's playing that position where Caron was, it's always looking more for the long ball. 
and two, two with obviously Karoma having to play on the right, it's just basically Bomb just becomes so isolated because he's so used to having, you know, they become a bit telepathic, really. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's only 11, five or 10 yards away from it at the most. And Karoma will be going for that flick on before it's, it's even gone on to Bond's head. Vice versa, if he see Bond's got his feet, Karoma's, you know, running inside him for the one-two, you know. So having to change that, I think, has affected us as a, as a unit massively during a game. But as I say, with Harold, it, it becomes more long ball. And then you just, if you lose the flick on, you're losing possession straight away. So I don't like that style of play anyway. But at the moment, that's what we've got. So we have to, Justin's had to run with it. I think it's shown though, isn't it? Like uh, when Bond's played with the, uh, the other two, he can't get a link up with no. them. They, they can't get an understanding. They've had a no. good few games. I mean, him and yeah. Alabi started off together. Harold's had a couple of games. They, yeah. They've had the chance. Bond well, and Karoma yeah. just naturally click. Yeah. And, and when you look at their stats, like when they've played together, it's phenomenal. That's the reason they're both being touted for, for bigger things because of the way they are together. I mean, that, go, that goes back for me to bringing another player in. It's like, if you're bringing a player in, you want him to have, be able to link up with Bond. You want him to be able to link up with Karoma. Don't need individuals coming in that, that they can't generate that that sort of camaraderie like, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And totally also, agree. if you do bring a player in, which he's going to bring, I don't know, two or three, whatever he wants, it, it might... You don't. You might not link up or gel with the team within a week. Mm. It could take two, four weeks, two months. So then you're on to nearly February. Yeah. So you got, as I agree with you, you got to be very careful what you what you bring in. Well, and uh, like maybe like a Jay Simpson, if it is possible to get him on, you know, for a contract, a short contract, whatever. I think that'd be, be nice. It'd be lovely be because he he knows the place. He knows some of the players. He, you know, he's been training with them. Yeah, he's been training with them. So it could be perf- absolutely yeah. perfect. He could. You know, straight off from the start. He'd been saying different over last. He'd been yeah. saying different to the forwards. The four, yeah, absolutely. Four forwards. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, it was mentioned obviously that Jay Simpson is currently in the building training with the team. Um, Justin envisages though that he'd probably be looking for um, a football league team. But mm. if he doesn't find a football league team by the end of January, he could be he could be with Orin, or if it doesn't look like. It's all part of what Martin Ling, I suppose, can do in terms of um, persuading um, maybe Jay that if he puts in a good shift between now and uh, now and the end of the season, good things will come for him in the close season. That, that you know, someone from from the football league um, will come and pick him up. Say Orient don't get that um, magic bullet, and the magic bullet isn't necessarily there. I mean, I'm seeing a couple of names banded around, but. This, only to the same extent that someone like Dan Holman was banded around last season and mm. it didn't quite work out as as we will with have hoped and, and thought it would. I think I saw someone uh, mention former oh, um, Paul McCallum uh, mentioned as an option by, by one fan and that got um, possibly um, dismissed by, by a couple of others. Uh, if Orin are left with the same team that they um, have got at the moment, and I know when Kent Teague previously said on the show not to expect new blood until the end of January. That's when they're expecting most of their moves to go through. Although probably the schedule's been brought forward since then by by the injury. Um, some people mentioned do Orient go four three three? What happens with? I mean, I saw Lee. Did you mention maybe 
Charles Claydon as a, as a possible option as a, as a guy that not a lot of people know about and uh, possibly a surprise element I like Charles Claydon I've, I've seen Charles Claydon like for the 18s and all that uh, for the last year uh, and I, I do I think he'd bring something different to come out on the wing probably he's not going to come into the team and play regular but for, especially for the next few games to bring something in and an element of surprise for the opposition because they're not going to expect him. He's not even been in the squads or on the bench or anything. So they're not going to expect him. So for someone to come in, a, a winger who just attacks players and puts in early crosses, which is what he does, it's, it'll be something different, especially short term. I mean, in terms of other options, what do you think Orion will, will do? I mean, someone I saw someone mention as well, uh, Real, Real Soterio and um, maybe having him out on the wing. But I mean, you you're asking a guy there who, who plays as a forward to come into a team that was winning and, and play in a position that he's not necessarily familiar with. It's it's not um, screaming out as a brilliant option, is it really? Well, it just sounds very similar to Karoma having to go out there and then to put him out there if he's the same sort of, plays the same position as Karoma anyway. Um, I don't, I, I really don't know, but I, I, I personally don't think they'll change it too much. I think they'll bring two bodies in, you know, if he gets who he wants, or if he gets one out of the five that he wants, or two out of the two out of ten that he wants, um, I, th- I think that would that would do for us, and they have to do for us. I mean, realistically, though, when when you look at the squad, a fit squad that we've got, yeah, Kent Kent spot on with what he's saying. You're only bringing in players at the end of the end of the transfer window to freshen it up. The squad's good enough to go up and win the league anyway. Yeah, we've had Dayton's now injured, so that that changes that to. Someone, a wide player's got to come in, sort of thing. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen with the forwards. And, uh, and like you say, what, what you said, Chris, about Joby being 37, can he go the rest of the season without picking up many more injuries? You, you don't know. I mean, he's a fit, he's a fit lad, right? you know what I mean? But you don't know. So you've got to get these players in. But again, you can't panic. This squad, on its day, when it's confident and when it's all gelling, it, it beats everyone. beats everyone in this league. Well, we've seen that, haven't we? Yeah. We've seen it. It's just unfortunate we've got the injuries together at this well, time where you're losing three or four players. That is now stretching the squad. So you do need a couple in to freshen it up, as you say, Lee. Hmm. But a fully fit squad, we're more than good enough. But you can bring them in at any time, can't you? It doesn't... At- it doesn't close, does it? Well, the only, reason, the only reason we're talking about January is because January is obviously when the... Um, is when the football league transfer yeah. window is opening, and then there's this whole idea about filtering down. So mm. the big clubs will take options from the football league. For, they want their kids to play as high as possible, so they go for this option first, and then a team like or in, in the national league teams become down the way. So they're keeping their options open, and possibly won't do a deal before um, before then because you know you're limited as, as as to what you do. So even though there isn't that window, realistically, um, Orient of looking in at the moment of getting in someone from, well, I mean, until the window opens at the, at the start of January, they're looking at someone sort of at a similar level, and then you can start to look. But this is why they were saying about the later in the January window as well, because Orient, unfortunately, are down the, are down the, the queue list, in, yeah. in, in down the queue in turn, yeah. and, and you can't you can't blame. Um, you can't blame a, a club for, for wanting to do it. I mean, you've got a, a youngster there saying, well, I mean, say we're talking about a youngster, and I think possibly we, we are, because if you look in terms of experienced heads, 
there's no big name that everyone's going, this is the guy that Orient have got to bring in. I don't think there's a obvious answer there. There's a few that you get in and I think everyone will be drastically underwhelmed by some of the names that you're getting in. So Well I think there's one that they're after, but I don't really want to name names, but yeah. what we offered I think and what what now what they want, they've gone back and they it's gone up, I don't know, another fifty percent. Uh, so I think that's being looked at and I think that could you know slot in lovely. Mm. And then Karoma can go back to where he was. Well Orin are Orin are looking for and to talk about what now thirty nearly thirty years ago now, Orin are looking for their Kevin Campbell for this campaign aren't they yeah. and it's it's it, it does the kevin campbell exist and do orient have to wait until you know after you, championship league one league two have got first refusal when you're talking about young players coming out coming down from the like the premier and championship clubs it's a different totally different scenario to what it was when kevin campbell come down like it's a a lot of the, the, these clubs are going to want their players if they're coming down to the national league they want them playing want every them play. single week yeah. they want them developing Again, that, that, that goes back to, are they going to be good enough to fit in to, to, to what we need, sort of thing. It's a, for, every Kevin, for every Kevin Campbell we've had coming in loan over the, over the last 30 years, we've had, what, 20, 30 that have been nowhere near good enough. Mm. Like, you know, uh, like I say, a lot of these boys, their mentality is totally different to, to them. They've had, a, they've, had, they've had it easy. They think they're a lot better than National League, which is probably why they're playing for Championship or under-23s at Championship and Premiership clubs. But they come in, if, are they going to come in with that right mindset to roll your sleeves up or are they going to come in with, uh, well, I'm, I'm a Championship player, I'm coming in at National League, I'm going to be the star, you know? And, I, and from what I've sort of read between the lines, this is what the other lad from Palace done. They've not got a look in. Now, Palace ain't going to be happy because they've got a player out on loan that they want to develop. He hasn't even getting in the National League side. So it, it, bringing these youngsters in, although there's a lot of talent about, it can also, it can also backfire. I mean, the Orient obviously are looking for the equivalent of an Ebu Adams uh, from last season, although um, that name is a little bit um, tinged now. But um, if anyone, I'm sure Steve Foster can dig uh, someone out or um, uh, Marvin Ekpetita, um, hopefully he's got um, someone on his list. Now, I think we all noticed uh, the negativity after the last couple of results and and the outpouring in full view online after yesterday's draw and it is something that the boss um, railed against in his post-match interview Um, Kev do you think the gaffer was right to come out in the way that he did after the game Uh, Justin's entitled to his opinion Um, I personally didn't hear anything it was not in the ground. He sort of alluded to. Well, I think it's one or where two. Where did he hear it from? Yeah, because we're all behind well, the goal. We're today, the goal. He, said, he said today, oh, and I thought, well, I didn't hear anything. But um, whether it's social media, he's talking about, I don't know. A few but, people have put on, on on Twitter that they never heard nothing, and they mm. were down the other end to what we were. Mm. So, what? what oh, did he actually that, hear something, or is he going by what's being said online? Been, exactly, that's what I'm saying. Is it social media that he's picking up on? Uh, people entitled their own opinions. Um, majority of the people are happy with the way things are going. We were happy last night, weren't we? We had a couple to celebrate, <laughs> celebrate a point in Dover. A bit blurry, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you found you found the jukebox with Tijuana Taxi. Yeah, you? It did. Yeah, it did yeah. actually. Yes. All the old classics come out. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I mean, Howard, it is it is a risky tactic. But, 
afterwards and you think if he'd have done that interview if he was asked to do that interview a few hours later he might not have he might not have gone that way but you've got a frustration of of a nil nil and then you look I mean as he said you look at where Orient were when he took over to walk to Orient now and you yeah. think well you are some people are right some people have, have have their right to complain but some people most people you would think they're well, he's done pretty well. You can't complain too much. No, he's done superbly, he's, isn't he? You could just hear it in his voice, though, that saying was nagging him, couldn't you? Niggling yeah, yeah. him. He, his voice was different from his usual interviews. He's always upbeat. He's a very confident person. Um, believes in his own you know, abilities and what he's saying. But, but I find it hard that he was so close to after the game that he could have even read anything on social media, really, for it to have... Someone so to have said something, you know. It's been a build-up. But... Yeah, that's what I think. It must have been a build-up, and he felt like he had to, you know, get it out there and, and say something, get it off his chest, so to speak. But uh, I don't know he's done it. He's done a tremendous job from where we were, and uh, we're, we're top of the league. So you know, enjoy it while we can. I, exactly. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that yeah, some some clubs have come back to us now. Maybe it's just all it's just all averaged itself out. And we're, we're over half a season. We've played twenty seven, as I said. Um, even though it's not the new year yet with this league there's more games played so just you know, embrace it enjoy it be confident yeah. with it it's like if we're going to be negative and it's going to get back to the players and the staff and everything that's that's a no-no to me um, how many times have we been top of the league you know for a period since we've been supporting them um, so I think the stat oh. came out today 42 days at the top yeah. of the National League in 2018 yeah. which is that's it. Which is a, a, an incredible well, I stat. We, I don't think we've topped that in the last 40 years, have we? <laughs> <laughs> it's like Chris de Burr being top of the charts you know, as many, as many uh, days. So, uh, yeah, you know. Who did he play for? <laughs> well, you must have seen him play once or twice. But do you know what I mean? It's just, you're, yeah. just, I think you're just looking at things and uh, just embrace it, enjoy it. What, 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 Negativity what, drives me mad. So rolled me, but I wasn't over happy with the fact that you, you, you filled it. You could feel like what he was saying—the passion, listen, love the passion and all that. But the fact he's, he's highlighted, he's, he's sort of had a moan about the fans, and then he's highlighted it's only one or two. Why is he letting one or two get to him? What, what a lot of I, I know, like we said on social media, a lot of people that, that, that tweet the negativity, like I said earlier, ain't even at the games. They're, they're sort of sitting indoors, like. Mm reading it all on, on the internet and all that but why has he let that one or two people and we all know we've all seen them like I mean, we've all had disagreements or conversations with them why is he why is he sort of tired everyone into the same brush the negativity take take the positivity out of what the fans are giving not the not the negative he wants positivity mm. don't take the negativity from a couple of couple of fans that just like the moan yeah well the, the problem is obviously that negative shouts louder than, than positive at any at any one time but you've you've got a situation now where in the 24 hours since this has happened it's almost like you've got the people who are negative and, and maybe they have the right to to be a little bit to be a little bit negative about the way the team because just just because Justin has done absolutely brilliantly it doesn't mean that he that the team is completely exempt from criticism about not. how it's played over the last couple of games but what you've got now you've got the people who originally were negative about the result and then you've got people who are being negative about the people who are being negative about the result and you've got two two parties here so you've got mm. people who seem to say 
you can't complain about anything at any time. You're wrong if you complain about anything. You've got the people who... And probably the, the actual situation lies somewhere in, in the middle. And it's not... For a team who are, as we say, top of the league... I mean, I, I said when, when you guys come in, I've never seen a group of fans so unhappy yeah. to be top of the league. It's, 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 it's the strangest it? thing. Yeah. It yeah. really is, and... You know, well, not used to it, though, are we? Top of the league, so no <laughs> nosebleeds. Well, I say it's, it's, it's us, uh, it's, it's Orient getting um, getting back to normal because, um, certainly for the last few years, we've been talking about everything yeah. off I, I, the pitch, but to actually be complaining about things on the pitch is probably progress. Like I said, though, every, every club has got these fans, and like social media gives them the platform to, to, to spout what they want to say. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, no one's gonna think everyone's rosy, like I said. Some people see, I thought, uh, I'll use him, I thought uh, Ling was, didn't have a great game the other day. Someone else on Twitter said they thought he was one of the better players. It's great that you've got these different, different opinions. Everyone sees things different. But if you're going to, for me, if you're as a, as, as a footballer, as the manager, as the staff, if you're going to sit there and just listen to a few negative people that constantly are negative, I was saying to you before, Kent Teague last season, turned around, when he when he came over, he turned around and said, I'm, I'm going to interact with the fans, I'm going to read the message board. And I said to him then, I said, I probably want to rethink that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and this year, he don't read the message board. Like, you know what I mean? So you know where the negativity is going to come from. Avoid it. Avoid, it's social media. You haven't got to read it. And, uh, well, we're certainly hoping for, I know that they're certainly hoping for the great support of the fans on, on New Year's Day. And, uh, and the game against uh, Salford. And um, well, the club will be paying tribute as well to those fans who passed away in 2018 at the match against Dagenham and Ribbridge on New Year's Day, which is an absolutely brilliant gesture. Um, in other news about the game and the one against Salford, uh, season ticket holders in the East Stand have been moved in recent weeks, can return for the game against Dagenham, uh, with a full stand returning to use for the January 5th game at home to Salford. Uh, great news, uh, certainly for the uh, club coffers as well, because... Uh, I know they were doing very, very well with um, hospitality, so we get a full ground in uh, that game as well. And I heard news today uh, that if you can't make the game due to being overseas, uh, the club has agreed with the National League and Salford to stream the game on January the 5th uh, to supporters outside of the UK. Uh, details will be confirmed during the next week. Uh, on Leighton Orient official channels, so uh, do keep an eye out for that. Um, before we wrap up, uh, though, gents, we have got um, oh, we have got uh, a question uh, coming from Darren Burrows, um, who asks, "Can you ask each of the boys what their favourite cheese is on the board? One of each." Come I do on. like a bit of Stilton. Uh, a bit of Stilton. Yeah, a bit of Stilton to do me, Darren. Okay, uh, do you going to get a lead? lead okay, you... I'll, I'll have whatever's left. I hang on. Anyone who's seen me knows that. <laughs> and Howard, do you want to go? Just the crackers for me. Oh, just yeah. the crackers. All right. So you don't they, they, they don't like actually like cheese that much. So the other person who's actually here, who who was the person behind the cheese board? Trevor. Trevor was the person behind. Uh, Trevor was, yes. Yeah, well, well Trevor, Trevor and Saint, and it, they're, yeah. The, yeah. they're the main connoisseur. Um, okay, so um, also to mention, the club are keen to hear from um, 16 to 18 year olds interested in a potential new football and education uh, college programme. Um, students would study for a BTEC extended diploma in sport, uh, plus gaining sports industry qualifications, all while in a professional football club environment. Uh, the programme is due to start in September 2019, and you can find out more by emailing Lewis Spencer at L. 
joel.spencer that's s-p-e-n-c-e-r at leightonorient.net uh, that's uh, lewis spencer l.spencer at leightonorient.net uh, um, big couple of games coming up uh, gentlemen and um, do you think uh, lee it's Revenge that the O's are out for on um, on New Year's Day, or is uh, do you think the players not uh, actually concentrating on that? I don't know. If it's revenge. It's just get back to get back to winning ways. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not a revenge game, is it? It's, and, a, it's a game we won three points out of. And the crowd's getting a positive crowd. crowd. Positive crowd behind the team, especially for yeah. uh, Mon- uh, New Year's Day. I mean, do do you think that it's going to be a different Orient side than the one that took to the pitch on Boxing Day? Do you think Orient are really going to come out better out of this last couple of games where they struggled, get a home game again? Uh, do you think you're going to see a different attitude from the Orient side? I think the attitude would be fine. If if, if Joby and Clay are back, then uh, I see us being you know, very positive and, you know, um, taking the game to them uh, with the creativity back. It's about players coming back, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, main key players. Um, and then the game against Salford, which seemed like, I mean, a, a few weeks ago, this seemed like, um, well, it is still a massive, massive game, but it seemed like a huge game. But the run that Salford have been on, and they've lost four consecutive league games now, and Wrexham have now sneaked in to be the closest challengers, it's... I don't know, is we being aware of a wounded animal? I think that's more what I'm worried about. Yeah, I mean, obviously Salford ain't going to be happy with the way things have gone. They've been, uh, their form's been terrible. So it's going to be a massive game, but it's a big game for both of them. I mean, we were talking before, weren't it, that we're going to need 100 points at the end of the season just to keep up with Salford. Things change every, every week. And like I say, Wrexham's now becoming important. Salford game is massive. Every right. game's massive. Of course it is. Well, that's it for another edition of the Orient Hour. Just time to thank my guests for tonight, Lee Boyce, Howard Miller and Kevin Frake. Uh, to uh, Andy Gilson, Paul Golder, Steve Roach and Elliot Byrne for making the show possible. And to all you out there for listening in, we'll be back next Sunday at six o'clock with another edition of the Orient Hour. And welcome back to the Orient Hour, where you join us for a little bit of extra time. And a few weeks back, former Orient assistant manager, manager and managing director, basically any title with the word manager in it, Frank Clark popped down to Orient for the game against Aldershot to sign copies of his autobiography, black and white and red all over. During halftime of the game, Dave Victor caught up with Frank and talked about his 12 years at the O's. Well, Frank, it's, thank you very much. It's lovely to see you again. And, uh, well, it's been an amazing career. Of course, it started at Wembley with Crooktown. You played all those games for Newcastle United. Late in your career, European glory. But really, we want to talk about your time with the O's, 12 years at uh, late Noent. It started with Ken Knighton, yeah. somebody you knew at Sunderland. Yeah, I worked with Ken at, uh, at Sunderland. And then uh, when we lost the job up there, he, he came down here and asked me to come down with him. And I was only happy to uh, to join up with them again. Orient back in those days in the second division, of course. Yeah, what is now the championship? Yeah, yeah. Um, but we did. We were struggling. The club was struggling then, financially, desperately struggling. Um, we had to let uh, quite a few of the uh, the better players go, um, and it was a long, hard struggle from then on, really. Frank, I'm enjoying your book. There's great insight, particularly about your time at uh, Late Noyant. I was surprised about Tommy Taylor and just how much of an impact he might have had in Late Noyant's relegation from the second division. Yeah, well, Tommy was, Tommy was a very uh, powerful influence in the club when we came here. Uh, still a very good player. 
and uh, we, we, we kind of devised a system of playing with Tommy as a sweeper that suited him down to the ground uh, and we did okay uh, moved up the league a little bit but then we had a few uh, a few problems uh, discipline problems with Tommy and we were probably Ken and I were probably a little bit hasty um, if we'd been more experienced we might have dealt we could have dealt with it better but we lost Tommy really um, and we missed him uh, I think if we'd kept him uh, f- playing as he could and kept him in the team we, we might have stayed up then but it, it, it wasn't to be Relegation, if that wasn't hard enough there were real financial difficulties weren't there? <laughs> yeah, it was financial difficulties it seemed like every other month uh, we, were going, uh, we were in danger of, uh, of going under it was really hard but I enjoyed it all my joy my whole time uh, after our first season they, uh, back in the uh, in the what would then be the, the third uh, the second division third division sorry but which is now the first division uh, more economies more cuts had to be made and they they are, they got really Ken and asked me to take over uh, on a very very restricted budget I think we started the season with 15 players um, and it was very very difficult and it was, it was just difficult all the time and difficult for you and your family settling in London as well I would imagine well uh, yeah but we were okay uh, we lived it we got a house out in Loughton a nice part of the world you know there's a lot worse places to live than Loughton and uh, my two daughters they, they kind of grew up there and they uh, my eldest daughter certainly the real Londoner you know she uh, she refused to move and we went back to Nottingham uh, she lived in Bucca Sill now you know so she loves it down here so the family were okay, they settled in eventually. I suspect a lot of supporters didn't realise just how difficult it was for you off the, off the park. No, but I mean, I understand that. Uh, they, they, want to see, they want to see the team win on the pitch on a Saturday. They're not too worried about the, the financial problem behind the scenes. And I had a few hard times with them, rightly so, because, you know, results didn't really go our way initially. Um, but I think uh, when they look back, they'll have appreciated... Uh, how difficult it was and I think the important thing was I kept the club together and kept the club as a, as a proper football club uh, and a club that was respected in the game as well even though the results weren't particularly great at the time You didn't have a lot of money to spend but you spent it very well particularly your first signing Alan Comfort Yeah Alan was uh, I, I paid £10,000 for him and got the shakes when I, when I did that uh, but Alan Comfort was a, was a great player for us here and uh, he did a marvellous job um, probably the best signing I ever made here would be Kevin Hales Kevin came on a free I think when I first got the job as, as manager Kevin came on a free he came for about, I don't know, about £200 a week no signing on fee uh, said that was all I could do, all I could give him and he signed and, and he's been, he was a great servant for the club you know motion via the playoffs beating Wrexham here of course but that season again didn't start very well did it? No, no, we were never, uh, we were never what you would call promotion favourites. Um, but I thought we were, uh, I thought we had a decent team, and uh, the, the the kind of icing on the cake, if you like, was when I was able to get Kevin Campbell on loan from uh, from Arsenal, and Kevin came here and did a, a marvellous job for us. Just gave us that little bit, that little bit extra quality. Uh, and brought out the best in, uh, in the rest of the players. But he wasn't available for the uh, playoff final, and you had to work hard to make sure that Alan Comfort was available for that one. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a bit of a story about that one. Alan had, uh, Alan had arranged his wedding, uh, never dreaming for a minute that we would get into the, the playoff final. Uh, the, the wedding was going to be in Ireland. There was no way that he was going to miss it. 
so I had to uh, I had to work very very hard uh, to kind of not mislead the officials but persuade them that uh, that we should not kick off any later than 12 o'clock because it was a Sunday in terms of you know crowd pro- possible crowd trouble and I was able to persuade a national newspaper to uh, to sponsor a helicopter uh, I think it, it landed somewhere up up, up there and uh, was waiting for Alan when the game finished and was able to get him to uh, Ireland in time for his wedding. Just as well we didn't have to play extra time, I'd probably have to bring him off. <laughs> it's a great story. Frank, I didn't really realise until I read the book just how important Tony Wood was before he came chairman in terms of uh, maintaining and keeping the club alive. Well, no, he, he, he made one or two uh, donations to the club. Um, not massive donations, but fairly substantial in the, in the light of things at the time. Uh, and then uh, at the end of that particular season before he actually became the chairman it looked as though we were actually going out of business I remember at the, at the end of season dinner that we had um, it, things looked very grim uh, and Tony stepped in then um, and, and bought the whole club and was absolutely fantastic for the club uh, all the time I was here he was, gave me great support uh, let me get on with it, let me run the club and I think we were on the way to... Uh, to take the club up, up, the, uh, up the tables you know we'd established a decent youth system Chris Bart Williams came through our youth system and, and we got uh, quite a lot of money for Chris uh, people like Stevie Castle and Kevin Nugent people like that were coming through uh, and we were established uh, in what was then the first division I think um, and I was, I was running the, the whole club as chief executive and then I got the call from, uh, from Forrest which probably apart from Newcastle was probably the only manager's job I'd have left here for because I was really happy and settled here and uh, and I couldn't really turn it down you know and Frank when you look at what's happened to the club since then how did you feel I mean you, you must have uh, kept an eye on the club and of course you're in a very unusual position because you've been a manager a player and a chairman yeah well the last few years especially obviously it was very uh, very upsetting to see the club going downhill it, you know it's always results bad results can happen to any club but when the club is continually in the in the in the newspapers in the media for the wrong reasons it's really it, it's really dispiriting you know and it's terrible for the supporters to see the club's name really being dragged through the dirt you know and then for for them to obviously to drop out of the league at the end of uh, of that season was a was a massive massive blow i think for me and probably i'm sure everybody associated with the club and thankfully, they seem to have people running and owning the club now who, who want to do things the right way, you know, and they, they seem to have reconnected with the supporters. And I think the future looks, looks really bright here now. It does, Frank, but looking at what happened under the previous regime and you look at what's happening at the likes of um, Charlton and Blackpool and Coventry, is there anything that the Football League or Football Association can, Association can do that can protect clubs? Not, not in that respect. I mean, as long as the, the people who buy the club uh, uh, clubs don't have a criminal record, there's not really a lot that, uh, that the, the Football League or the FA can do. They can, they can try to help them with the administration. They're always there. They're always advice. They're always people at the Football League willing to step in and help the club. Uh, but if the people who own the club don't want the help and... Uh, you know, I want to run it in the way they want to run it, then it's very, very difficult to do anything about it. 
With the club's in good hands and they're top of the table. How do you think this season's going to go, Frank? Well, I hope I hope they get promoted back into the uh, into the second division if they can keep this going. Um, you know, it's always good. <coughs> People keep saying, "Oh, we don't want to be top too early." Oh, well, I don't believe in that. You know, I think if you get the points in the bag and you're up at the top, then everybody else has got to cash you. You know. And finally, your book, Frank. You give it a plug. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a, it's a proper autobiography. Uh, it's just something I wanted to do before I got too old and couldn't remember any of it and uh, um, I hope people will, uh, will enjoy it and uh, it seems to be going quite well at the minute. I'm certainly enjoying it. It's a fascinating life in football and thanks very much for joining us Frank. And what a fascinating chat that was there with former Orient assistant manager, manager and managing director Frank Clark. And thanks to Dave Victor for chatting with him. Uh, that's it for this week's Orient Hour. We'll be back next Sunday at 6pm on Phoenix FM, hopefully celebrating two victories for the O's.